Welcome to the On Deck Circle, a weekly podcast setting the table with lively baseball banter from two guys who love America's pastime. Let's talk baseball. Welcome into episode 13 of the On Deck Circle podcast for the week of May 15th, 2023. And dun 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 I'm back. That's right. Alex is back from the beach and from vacation time away with his family. He is so tan, ladies and gentlemen. If you could only see him in the studio, that man definitely spent some time on the golf course and on the beach. He has a a distinct crispness to him. You know, sunscreen is for the weak and it's for the vulnerable. And God gave us sun so that we can have a bronzy feel. Those of us who have spent a pasty white winter. And uh, if you, as long as you get that sunburn base, everything else on top of it turns bronzy. So it's a good feeling. Well, this podcast is going to be crisp and hopefully will not leave you burning. And this week we've got a stacked agenda as usual. And so without further ado, let's get down to business. Leading off. And this week we, as usual, will be leading off with our good, bad, and ugly. Last week, I mentioned that I would be going to a baseball game, and so several of my items will come from my experience at the ballpark. But Alex, let's start with you. What was your good from this past week of baseball? There was a lot of good to choose from. As always, there's always good things going on in the world of baseball, in particular Major League Baseball. However, my good for this week comes not from the Major League Diamond, not even from the Minor League Diamond. Oh, no. But from the Little League Diamond. You, Your team got a win. It's not even my personal Little League Diamond, although my team, uh, my T-ball team that I coach, uh, they are studs, but we, uh, yeah, no score being kept there. I do want to draw our attention to the state of Florida, though, where a youth baseball game was being played this last weekend. It was a coach's pitch game, and seven-year-old Zoya was up to bat. While she was up to bat, she was caught up in a dust devil at home plate. I didn't even know what that was until I saw it. The best I could describe it, it was like an impromptu tornado at home plate. I was going to say, isn't a dust devil like a, a vacuum cleaner? It's it's a brand of vacuum. And uh, and so the, the dust devil was whirling around home plate. And Zoya was up to bat. She's caught up in the dust devil when 17-year-old umpire... Aiden Wiles entered the devil and pulled Zoya out to safety. And all I have to say is in a world where umpires are always just on the butt end of bad jokes and they just seem to just, they can't get out of their own way. Aiden Wiles went to bat for the whole fraternity of umpires and saved the day as a superhero. So way to go Aiden as a 17 year old umpire who saved Zoya, who was caught up in a dust devil at home plate in the state of Florida this last weekend. Way to go. I feel like that was the ugliest good you've ever had. That was this might be the best good that I I've think, ever had. This I think might I be have, the best thing that's ever happened on a baseball field in a long, long time. I think I just changed my ugly for the last week to Alex being back in the studio and his good. Uh it, it's it's a feel good <laughs> story, yes, but come on, man. Aiden Wiles. We're name dropping people. Maybe we'll have Aiden on the podcast sometime to talk about his superhero like feat entering the devil. <laughs> and pulling Zoya to safety. Oh, my word. 
Go ahead. Tell us about the ballpark. What happened at the ballpark? <laughs> What's your good from the weekend? So my good from the weekend was I, I got the opportunity to go to the Orioles Pirates game Friday night. And Friday night, there was history made. First and foremost, because Oriole Park at Camden Yards introduced the Splash Zone, which is a section of seats during which if there is a double, triple, or home run hit, you will get sprayed with a water hose. There's a there. There's seriously, I, I want this job. There's an employee who sits with a hose in his hand, and he's watching the game, and if an Oriole hits a double, triple, or home run, he stands up and douses the crowd with his hose and then sits back down. I want that job. That that There's so much good in that, so much awesomeness. But... I'm speechless. That, I'm literally speechless. That right now. splash zone was put to use Friday night because Cedric Mullins didn't just hit a double or a single or a triple. He hit all three of those and a home run. Cedric Mullins hit for the cycle Friday night. That's the first time I've been to a ball game where there has been something of significance done like that. It's pretty remarkable. He's the 12th Oriole player in history to hit for the cycle. And I got to say, when he stepped up to bat in the eighth inning, there was there was doubt as to whether he would get a chance to hit for the cycle because the Orioles were up so they wouldn't hit in the home ninth inning. But enough people came to the plate to to give Cedric another at bat. And he stepped up to the plate and you could tell like the crowd wanted it. And he took a couple pitches and then he got a pitch to hit and he drove that sucker. And off the bat, there was this roar. It was an electric environment down at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That was my good for the week, being able to live and in-person experience Cedric Mullins hitting for the cycle. And you had a late night drive, did you not, coming back from the stadium? Yes. So you stayed for it. Did you watch it live or did you hear about it on the radio? We stayed until the game was over. Okay, good. You didn't sneak out early and catch nope. it on the radio. We were there for first pitch and we stayed through the last pitch. I, okay. And and just as an aside, good 1A was getting to watch Felix Bautista pitch in person the ball just pops out of his hand like you see the ball and then you hear the 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 thwack of the catcher's glove and you're like whoa where did that ball just go is he the new king felix he struck out the side not just friday night but saturday night it was remarkable it was really cool getting to watch him and cedric mullins live and in person and that's my good for the week alex what's your bad let me guess a second baseman on a little league diamond out in the midwest let a ball go between his legs Almost. Last night, the Texas Rangers opened up a series against the Braves, and I know teams aren't going to win every game, but there just seems to be games where franchises just say, we're not going to win today. They throw in the towel. We're not going to win today. These are the first place Texas Rangers, mind you, and they're playing at home against the Atlanta Braves, who are one of the top two best teams in baseball. And they're like, we're just not going to play. They lose the game 12 to nothing, e. which isn't shocking. The Braves mashed five home runs. Again, not necessarily out of the ordinary. The Braves have an awesome offense. They do. However, this is my beef with the Rangers. They chose yesterday as the day where Cody Bradford was going to get his first career start. And I'm like, come on, man. Talk about putting a kid who's, you know, he's not a kid anymore. He's a 25-year-old rookie. He's been in the minor leagues. But talk about putting him in a situation where, hey, you're basically going to fail. And it went about as well as you would think it would go. Cody Bradford, in his first career start, gave up uh, seven hits, six runs, uh, several home runs. And the Rangers were down 7 nothing when he entered, when he exited the game in the fourth inning. And I just have to wonder, like... As a fan, like you just know, like tonight's not going to go well. 
And sure enough, it didn't. The Braves steamrolled the whole, the whole lot, or the, every pitcher that they rolled out there, they steamrolled them. They ended up winning the game 12 to nothing. And I just like, I, I guess it's just, it's a bad thing just because you're like, I've seen this story before. We're going to pull up a rookie to face a team that, you know, yeah, I guess if he does well, it's a miracle and it's a great story, but you know, before the game starts, this kid's going to get rocked. And he did. And that's like, that just felt bad. I, you feel bad for Cody Bradford. And again, you just would hope maybe like the Texas Rangers, when they're eyeing up, like this is an opportunity for us to show what we got with that. We're a real first place contender and we just lay an egg. Now they might come back and win the next two games or three games in this series, but what a way to start. And so I just say that's my bad for the week. Yeah, I mean, couldn't you have had him come up and make his major league debut against, like, I don't know, the Athletics? I know. You have a number of those games. Why not would you play against the Athletics? I mean, <laughs> anybody can beat that team. <laughs> I just It just seems like this is – if I I don't know. Like, if there's a – if you get the call and you're in AAA, can you refuse the call? Hey, we want you to call – we want to call you up to start against the Braves. Nah, I'm good. I think I'm going to stay in AAA. I'm going to stay in Frisco. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But anyway, my bad – is also from my experiences at Camden Yards over the weekend. There was an opportunity Friday night where a play was challenged, and I got to experience instant replay live and in person. And I got to say, Major League Baseball, we can do better. Number one, the umpire's microphone didn't work. So we were lip reading what he was saying from what we saw on the screen, and it looked like something to the effect of, Pittsburgh is challenging the ruling on the field, but we didn't hear that from the umpire. I read it from his lips off of the video screen. There was a, a play involving a fly ball down the line, and there was a question as to whether it was foul or fair, and the instant replay proceeded to take a ridiculous amount of time, and we were just seeing replays on the board, and then the umpire came back, still couldn't hear him when he gave the verdict. And apparently the ball was fair because the stadium applauded and the runner stayed on third base. I feel like if we have technology for NFL referees to be able to tell us what the result of a challenge is, and if we have technology to where NBA officials are able to tell the audience if it's a flagrant one or a flagrant two or, you know, give them information on what the ruling of a certain play is, come on, MLB, we can do better. We've got PA announcers. We've got tons of microphones. Let's let's figure something out to make the in-person experience a little bit better for the fans if you're going to use instant replay, which I agree with the use of it in this situation. You don't want to leave your fans in the dark. And for the announcers and sportscasters, I would, uh, I would assume that they weren't able to hear it either. So they're trying to, on live television, convey or even on live radio convey what's taking place to an audience and they're totally left in the dark as well major league baseball we can do better that's my bad for the week i love that what is your ugly alex well do you smell that something stinks do you smell yeah do you smell what the rock is cooking in this case do you smell what aaron judge is cooking Ooh. last night monday night all rise aaron judge is in toronto and Aaron Judge, as he's done now multiple times this year, in three separate games, he has hit two home runs in a game. Not out of the ordinary for Aaron Judge. Hmm. However, in the eighth inning, no, not the eighth inning, the sixth inning, seventh inning. The, one of the nine innings. One of the nine innings, middle of the inning, middle of the game. The TV commentators for the Toronto Blue Jays caught something with Aaron Judge. 
And it wasn't just in this at bat. It was in multiple at bats throughout the course of the evening, but in particular in this at bat, which led to his second home run, they caught him intentionally glancing off towards the dugout. He was staring into his dugout? Just not even staring because you can't stare milliseconds before the pitch is going to be delivered. I mean, you're supposed to be locked in, you know, to the pitcher. The pitcher is getting ready to deliver the pitch and he's glancing over and looking at something and go figure the result after he looked into the dugout and looked back at the pitcher. He hits the ball 462 feet. Again, it's a not long uncommon way. for Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is a beast when it comes to hitting a baseball. He was asked about it after the game, and he claims that what he was trying to do was trying to get the teammates' attention in the dugout. Aaron Boone had been ejected for arguing balls and strikes, and he was trying to get the attention of the teammates, of his teammates in the dugout, and trying to tell them to, you know, stop the chirping. Right. And I just something just doesn't add up. I mean, are you trying to do, are you try do you regularly try to get your teammates attention while you're locked in looking at the pitcher, getting ready to deliver it? Or is that something you do in between pitches when you quickly step out and then step back in? Yeah. I know there's less of that today, but there's just something that doesn't add up. And again, we don't, we don't want to encourage this, but baseball loves a good cheating scandal. Uh, we always, uh, you know, the the baseball baseball fans and fandom always love to, you know, root for the villain. Root, root, root for the villain. Exactly, and it just something just didn't seem right. I've watched that now a lot of times through videos on on Twitter and on uh, just uh, MLB dot com re- game recaps, and I have to tell you, I've watched it over and over, and I'm like, this just doesn't look good and so all right so hold on regardless if he's telling the truth regardless if he's lying it's an ugly look for aaron judge so so hold on last week your ugly was someone noticing something about a baseball team yep and drawing a conclusion that they're cheating and this week yes your ugly is you are observing a team or a ball player doing something and drawing the conclusion that they're cheating okay Last week, my ugly was last week somebody you were at the beach. with no evidence, anything whatsoever, just so, saying my gut tells me they're cheating. So just this because is, Aaron Judge looked a- no, no, no. in the dugout? This is Aaron Judge peering off multiple times, taking pitches, and then on other times, swinging and hitting balls half a mile. Oh, I'm smelling it all right. I'm, I'm smelling like, something what? in this studio stinking it up. What is happening with your eyes, Aaron? And again, it wouldn't necessarily even be that big of a deal. It was just the baloney excuse that he gave as to why he did it. Um, And you're like, that was so fake. It just might work. All right. All right. Anyway, Aaron Judge, do better. We all want you to hit home runs, but do better. All right. So here's my ugly from the weekend. Last week, the Atlanta Braves were my good. This week, they're the ugly. Still first place. They got swept by the Blue Jays. And not just swept. They got kicked out of Toronto. So they lost Friday 3-0. Chris Bassett pitched a two-hit shutout. This high-power, high-octane offense got shut down by Chris Bassett. Saturday, they lost 5-2. They gave the game away in in the later innings of the game. The bullpen 
uh, as has happened several times this year with the Braves, the bullpen let them down. Sunday was a gut-wrenching 6-5 to five walk-off loss again on the bullpen. But one stat in particular jumped out at me. Witt Merrifield stole five bases during the three-game series. Three in one game on Saturday. I, to me, this series was a letdown. So you talk about the Rangers just like, eh, I don't think we're going to play tonight. I felt like there was something wrong with Atlanta when they came to Toronto. Like they just, they, they just weren't feeling it. I mean, maybe, Strider maybe customs was giving them a hard time. Strider pitched well on Friday. He struck out 12, but he didn't pitch as well as Chris Bassett. Chris Bassett, complete game two hit shutout. It's kind of hard to top that. And then, you know, Friday or a Saturday, of course, the bullpen loses the game. And then Sunday, you cap that all off with a walk-off loss. Just as a, as a pretty ugly weekend series. I know that was one that we had looked at and like, oh, this, this is going to be a good series. And it was, it was pretty lopsided in favor of Toronto. So those are our good, bad, and ugly from the week. And let's move on to item number two on our agenda. Now on deck. And this week, we want to discuss in the second spot, what is... What is baseball's orientation? Are they fan-centered? Are they player-centered? Or are they owner-centered? And by that, we mean what controls the prevailing winds of baseball? Who are the movers and shakers? And Alex, there was a story that you have from out in Oakland. Why don't you give us the backstory for this conversation? Yeah, this conversation is rooted in everything that's going on with the Oakland A's these days. Oakland, uh, just the other day, they've reached an agreement now with the city of Las Vegas to advance plans or to, to, to develop plans to build a stadium on the Las Vegas Strip. And so they're, you know, there's a, they're, they're leaving Oakland and it seems like, you know, the move to Las Vegas is only now a matter of time. But the thing that keeps being said over and over again is this isn't fair to the fans of Oakland. The fans of Oakland, they deserved better. And I'm like, I, I just, I'm not really sure what that means because everybody's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's the worst kept secret in baseball that Oakland baseball in the last five years has been a dumpster fire. Atrocious. And not necessarily the teams haven't all been terrible. I mean, the, the A's, you know, the whole money ball experiment, you know, they did win games. They've made the playoffs. However, the situation with the city, the situation with the stadium, the situation with the fans showing up to games, it's not been great news at all. And it's all come to a head now. And now they're moving to Vegas, which has kind of just led me to think about like, what exactly is the point? Like what, where, where is who is baseball trying to please? I think Gordon Ramsay needs to go out to the Oakland Athletics, and he needs to clean house in the Coliseum out there. I think so. I think so. And they can start with the possum that's living in the you know the broadcast booth. I think Gordon Ramsay would have a positive effect on the Oakland Athletics. And that's all to say is I think we'd like to think in a nostalgic, idealistic world that the game is fan-centered. We'd nah. like to think that... You know, teams are making decisions, trying to please cities and states and the fans that, you know, buy the tickets and are going to the games. And I just think that we're telling ourselves a lie when we say that. At the end of the day, the thing that keeps coming to mind is, is it good for business? Yeah. I mean, think, so, so follow the money stream. Right. Who's making money off of this? Right. Well, the fans definitely are not. Nope. The players are kind of 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, they're making there. There are certain players making truckloads of money. However, Manny Machado, who's making the real money? Yeah, definitely the owners. And however, the owners. however, I would argue that though baseball is not fan centric, I don't think it's owner centric. I think it is player centric, and here's why. I have been going to ball games down at Camden Yards for a long time. Grew up going with my uncle, and we would show up early, and we would collect autographs from players. Back in the day, there was a fence around the parking lot they would park in. You could see through the fence. You could reach over the fence. Players would sign autographs getting out of their car. As I became a teenager, they put some black netting around the fence. So you could still kind of see, you could still reach stuff over. You were kind of you were kind of taking a leap of faith that the person that you thought whose car was parked there was in fact that person and not another person on the team. But you, it was still accessible. Then COVID hit and the availability of the players just shut down. The Orioles, and I, I know of other teams that do this, for their season ticket holders, they would have what was called a fan fest. And the season ticket holders would get early access to a ball game. There would be stations around the ballpark where you could run to and get free autographs from some of the popular players on the team. And then there, were, there would be like a state of the team address with the general manager. He'd be on top of the dugout. The coach would be there. And like some of the season ticket holders would be able to ask questions and kind of have like a feel of like they're involved in what's going on with the organization. Fan fest is gone. Opportunities to interact with the players are gone. Autograph opportunities are gone. And I feel like what you have now is a limited player availability, exaggerated player contracts, and a collective bargaining agreement that has weighed heavily in favor of the players. A lot of the schedule adjustments from this year with scheduling are a result of the CBA. A lot of how things are done in an MLB ballpark is because of the players. So yes, the owners are walking away with the money, but think about this. If the owners don't have players playing for them, the owners aren't making the money. So they got to keep the players happy. They got to keep the players happy or else there won't be fans that won't be coming to the ballpark that won't be generating revenue that go in the owner's pockets. So I think baseball is a player centric sport. Players hate playing in Oakland. So where can we go where they will enjoy playing? I agree with what you said. I disagree with the conclusion. I think what you said makes a good case for why the owners have are the centerpiece here. When you when you think about this, like last year, we went through the whole the, the, the shutdown, the lockout, you know, the collective bargaining agreement expired. And ultimately, yeah, both parties, owners and players want to get back on the field, supposedly. But who wants to get on the field quicker? And oftentimes it's the ownership that's like, you know what? You want to lock out? We'll lock out. We, you know, we, you stand to lose more by locking out as players. And we're, we're fat cats that have made our money elsewhere. This isn't our only investment. You know, think of, uh, think of, you know, there's a, it was big news and this is, you know, talking off topic for a minute, but we had, you know, the, the, the new ownership of the Washington commanders, you know, that Josh Harris owns now three major league or three professional franchises now. And you're like, okay, so these guys, you know, they they got their hands in other pockets and hands in other wells where they're making their money. And it just seems to me, it's just like, yeah, no, the, the collective bargaining agreement is a way of throwing bones to players. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. It does seem to favor the players. However, it's like who stands to lose more when the game locks out. And you're like, well, ultimately the players do players don't get paid at all. The owners are getting paid. They get, you know, they're making money elsewhere. They're making money off the stadium that's being used for other events. It just, 
And it's definitely not fan-centered. That's the other thing. I think that's one thing we can agree on. It's not a fan-centered sport. And we can talk more about this later on. Like, you know, when you go and you look at the prices of a hot dog, you're like, this isn't (laughs) fan-centered. We're not really worried about the fan enjoying his experience. If you're able to walk out with an arm and a leg still after you go to a baseball game, you're in good shape. Yeah. It's just, and so I think at least we can agree on that. We can agree that baseball is player owner centered fans are definitely the third leg of that wheel. And I think we agree on that. Yeah. The play, or I'm sorry, the fans definitely end up getting the short end of the stick. I mean, you couldn't get a hot dog for less than eight bucks at the ballpark. Exactly. That's ridiculous. And I just went, I went to the store today and bought two packs of hot dogs of eight a piece for less than $8. Yeah. Something's not adding up. I, I think there needs to be a shift to pun intended. There needs to be a shift to allow fans to either bring items into the ballpark like food and drink or you need to there there needs to be a cap on the price of food items it's just out of control savannah bananas baby savannah bananas they get it what good is a dollar dog night four times a year and then the rest of the time it's eight bucks exactly exactly let's go back to the days where stuff was reasonably priced. It doesn't have to be exorbitantly priced, but we're also not asking you to give the stuff away for free. Just let's be reasonable for Pete's sake. Well, again, how does a minor league team, a minor league independent league team like the Savannah bananas, how do they understand they're the most entertaining thing going on in baseball right now? And they, they figured out that what we do is we charge a entrance to admission you know, you buy a $30 ticket and that includes all the food you can eat for the night, plus your ticket for the game and all the entertainment that's going to come with it. And it's an all income and it's the most popular, hottest ticket in baseball in all the country, all inclusive. And you're like, yeah, they're not playing nearly the number of games. And I understand that, but it's like they have a two year waiting list to get tickets. Wow. And what's the big problem? Okay. We got to raise rates because guess what? Nobody wants to come to the games and we're having a hard time selling out. I bet if we lower the price of the entertainment stuff, like the food and some of the other stuff, and we try to make it a, a package deal or whatever we're going to, I would imagine we'd sell more tickets. Absolutely. Go ahead. Reach out to us. We are available. I can make my contact information. Aaron can do as well. We'd love to talk to any leadership owners, general managers, on how you can make your experiences at your ballparks more enjoyable for the fans. We're available anytime. We want to come to games. We, we want to take our families to games. We want to spend time at the ballpark. It's just cost prohibitive. And it's, it's, I feel like, I feel like the expense to go to a game is not equal to the value that you get for your money at the game. I can sit on my couch with MLB TV subscription with an MLB TV subscription and gorge myself on hot dogs made on my own grill. And I can enjoy myself just as much, if not more than going and dropping hundreds of dollars to go to one baseball game a season. Which is sad. So MLB, let's do better. Let's make things a lot easier. And let's try to have a balance between a fan-centered experience, but yet also keeping in mind the players and making the owners happy. Exactly. Let's head on to our third segment. In the hole. And this week in our third segment, we want to circle back to something that we discussed at the beginning of the year. That was a lack of starting pitching depth. There are some starters, but we sensed kind of a shift being uh, taking place between what has been traditionally seen as a starting pitcher and an increasing number of bullpen games, 
uh, five inning starts and then the rest is a bullpen or even less than five inning starts to where you don't even really have someone qualified for a win until the scoring stops and the dust settles and we have a winner. But uh, we want to revisit this because there have been some encouraging things that we've seen to this point in the season. We're 40 plus games in. We want to circle back around uh, just to kind of look at the longevity of starting pitchers thus far in the game. So to this point in the year, uh, there are lots of statistics. Most of the starters have started at least nine times or they're in the process of going through their ninth turn through the rotation. So to this point in the year, the leader in innings pitched is Logan Webb, San Francisco Giants pitcher. He's at 59 and a third innings pitched through nine starts. So he's averaging just over six innings per start quality. Yep. Number two on the list, Zach Allen, also averaging about just over six innings per start. Framber Valdez is on the list, averaging just over six innings per start. Garrett Cole on the list, predictable. Mitch Keller, the surprise from the Pittsburgh Pirates, he's on the list. He's a stud. Aaron Nola rounds out the top six in innings pitched. All six of these guys hovering right around or just over six innings pitched per start. There have been 10 complete games pitched so far this year. That's surprising. That number seems high. Seven of them were complete game shutouts. That's not surprising because, again... If you're going to pitch a complete game, most more than likely... likely you're pitching a shutout. Yep, exactly. So I, I just... I wanted to, to circle back and revisit that question with you, Alex. Is starting pitching still in trouble in Major League Baseball? Or what are what have you thought as you've watched the season progress so far? I stand by our podcast from a few weeks ago. I do think starting pitching is in trouble. However, again, you listed off six, six names or so, and I'll list off a couple names myself. They're just names that just come to my mind. And you're like, there are guys, though, who are impressive starting pitchers. And... It's it's a wonderful, beautiful thing when you see indeed. a starting pitcher doing his job really well. It is indeed. And so I'm just going to highlight Bryce Miller. Bryce Miller, who was just brought up from the Seattle or for the Seattle Mariners, he started three games. And talk about you know if Cody Bradford was on the the bad end of guys who have started their career, Corey uh, Bryce Miller has started three games for the Seattle Mariners. He is two and zero. 19 innings pitched, which means he's gone at least six in each start so far. He has 18 strikeouts and a .47 ERA. And his first major league start was against the Oakland Athletics. Oh, maybe that was the maybe that's the formula this year. That's <laughs> the secret sauce. Exactly. No, and it's just very impressive. And again, a, a surprise team that both you and I were high on before the season started, the Arizona Diamondbacks. They don't have a deep rotation at all as far as the rotation is concerned, but their rotation is rooted in Zach Gallen, who you mentioned, and Merrill Kelly, both of whom are more often than not going to go out and give you a quality start every time they take them out. And you're like, okay, so that's a big deal. Now, the majority of their rotation is still a work in progress, and I would say that's probably true of most teams in baseball, that the starting rotation is a work in progress. However, there are guys who are like, whoa, he's really good, and I think it's maybe not, you know, it's not on life support. Maybe it's not as, you know, as bad in the at, at the moment as we, we thought it was going to be, but I still think starting pitching is trending in a bad direction. However, you still have to enjoy the guys who are doing it really well. 
Yeah. So if you get an opportunity to go see one of those six players pitch or Shohei Otani or Merrill Kelly, like you mentioned, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, those have been two really great pitchers. Um, Dustin May is another great one who's been pitching well this year. Corbin Burns. If you get an opportunity to watch them pitch, there is a craft and an art form to pitching, and they have done a really great job of that this year. And just as a whole, the Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff. Yes. Uh, even Shane McClanahan, after he got lit up by the Yankees this past week, right. he's still having a pretty awesome season as well. Well, I read a sad article just this last week, and again, this just tells you how quickly this stuff can go away. There there was speculation uh, Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent, most likely at the end of the year, and you know who knows where he's going to land. But the question was, is how long is he going to be able to keep up pitching and hitting the way he's the way he's going right now? which means, you know, most likely he's going to give up pitching before he gives up hitting. And so as a fan who doesn't live in L.A., if you have an opportunity to go see Shohei Otani play, do it because you might not have that opportunity again for a long time after Shohei hangs up, you know, the pitching side of things. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime experience to see someone. So if you're like, man, if you're trying to think through like, when do I go see my team play this year? Wait till the angels come to town, see if Shohei Otani's on the mound, go see Shohei Otani hit and bat in the same game because that, you know, you're going to see something special and you don't want to, I don't want to be too nostalgic, but it's like, you don't want to miss out on those opportunities. Yeah. His last two starts, he has been one hit away from a cycle batting and has struck out double digits. I believe he is pitching well enough to win a Cy Young and his statistics are good enough to, you know, qualify for the MVP. I mean, he is that quality of a pitcher. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of other quality pitchers in both leagues, but he's at the top end of the conversation in both categories, which is really cool. All right. Well, let's uh, close out our show today by moving on to our fourth segment. Batting cleanup. And as we look ahead to this weekend and some intriguing matchups, honestly, there aren't a ton that jump off the page nope. as intriguing. Nope. Nope. This nope. is nope. This is one of the the disadvantages of having a long season is there's a lot of redundancy. Yes. And you get to a point where like there aren't really any intriguing matchups, any that jump off the page, but there are some that are notable, and uh, let's highlight a few of those. Alex, what's one series you're looking forward to this weekend? Games that I'm looking at, uh, Baltimore is in Toronto this weekend. The, a, the, the, the Rays are still like the standard in that division, but if anybody's going to catch them, it's going to be Baltimore-Toronto as yep. of right now. And so can one of those teams, you know, sweep the series? Can win, you know, Who's going to win two out of three? Who's going to come out closer to the Rays or further away from the Rays? That's the first matchup. I think that's the most – I think that's the matchup of the best teams yeah. this weekend yep. is Baltimore-Toronto. I agree. I have that one on my list as well. Two really fun to watch teams. Yes. Hopefully a lot of runs scored or a lot of great pitching. One of those two. So if you get an opportunity to catch an Orioles Blue Jays game, either on TV or in person, do it. Alec Manoa should be on the mound and Alec Manoa stinks this year, except when he's playing good teams. Alec Manoa shows up. 
Yeah. And so Alec Manoa has been terrible in like 80% of his starts. But when he plays the Yankees, he pitches an eight inning shutout. He's playing Baltimore. Are we going to get grade A Manoa or are we going to get grade F Manoa? All right. Uh, a, a matchup that I'm looking at as an interesting matchup is the Guardians versus the Mets. And here's why. The, the, Mets, Mets, stink. Have, the, the Mets have been on the road and the Mets are scuffling. But they're coming home. Max Scherzer's back. He actually... How many didn't... times can Max come back? <laughs> he's back from suspension. He's back from neck spasms. He's back. He's back. Justin Verlander's still pitching, I believe. There's, you know, opportunities during this homestand for them to demonstrate some signs of life. Uh, there have been some encouraging signs with Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor and others in that lineup that they're starting to wake up. Can the bats come alive this weekend against the Guardians and, and a pretty good pitching staff that Cleveland has? I think that's an intriguing matchup, uh, an intriguing interleague matchup even for this weekend. National League, I'm looking at uh, the Chicago Cubs and the Philadelphia Phillies. Both of those teams are either at 500 or the wrong side of 500, and they both, I think, had a little higher expectation for the first month of the season. If either one of those teams is going to play themselves back into the, the wild card conversation early on in the season, they, they need to do well in this series. Um, the Philadelphia Phillies obviously had sky-high expectations going in. The Cubs have outperformed maybe some of their expectations so far, but the Cubs in Philadelphia, you have two teams that are right around 500 looking to kind of establish some footings and the, someone's got to get it right eventually. Right. And so it's either gonna be the Cubs or the Phillies, but yeah, uh, I'm going to stay in the state of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Arizona square off this weekend, Pittsburgh scuffling outside of Mitch Keller. They are. They went into Baltimore and they lost two out of three. They haven't been doing so hot. They're trending in the wrong direction. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks are still trying to figure out what kind of a baseball team are they? Because you can't steal a ton of bases if you're not getting on base. And that's been their Achilles heel to this point. I, I think that's going to be an intriguing series to see which team shows up. Is it going to be the Pirates finding their form? Or are the Diamondbacks going to start realizing who their identity is, what they, what kind of team they are, and uh, use Pittsburgh as a stepping stone to get things right as they seek to make some headway in the NL West? How long does a team go before they're just like, we're a baseball team? We don't know what kind of team we are. We're a baseball team. You know, they've, got, they've got a good record. They're in second place. They're in the wild card conversation in the National League. They're a solid team, and that's about it. Like they're just a solid team. Like they don't do anything particularly well. We're not a pitching team. We're not a hitting team. We're not a running team. We're a baseball team. Yeah. And we can't beat the Dodgers. So that's what that's all we got for you. Yep. Anyway. Well, those are some matchups we're looking forward to this weekend and uh, trust that you'll enjoy watching some of these matchups. Give us some feedback. What are some matchups you're looking forward to as always? Please like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Share it with a friend or family member. Let them know about this conversation we have every week as we set the table by looking back at the previous week's action and look ahead to the upcoming week ahead's action. And uh, follow us on our Twitter and Facebook pages. And until next week, we're out of here.